five cats, two pussies. This is Ronnie. And this is Lindsay. And this is a podcast about witchcraft and spooky things and whatever the fuck we want to talk about. Welcome. Yeah, welcome. We have an excellent episode lined up for today. So much reading. So much reading this week. Mostly <laughs> crammed into yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yesterday was a nice day for reading, though. It was like super sunny and warm outside, and it was just a nice day to like kind of chill with a book. Yeah, it was great. I did yeah. a bunch of gardening, and, and it, was, it was beautiful. But I waited until the day before the recording to buy a book <laughs> on the topic, which is Valpurgisnock. Yeah. I think I said that right. I think it was close enough. <laughs> I think it was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> or Witch's Night. Yeah. Which is right around the corner. Yeah. Now, we did mention this a little bit in our in between episode that we did around this time last year because I was like dying and couldn't talk. So I had to oh, skip an episode, right. remember? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did this like little mini episode. And you can check it out on both the website and Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to this. Um, if you go back to basically this week, uh, it's not a numbered episode because it's an in-between episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We did just a little thing on Beltane because yeah, same week. Yeah, and we really thought that this time around, Lindsay has a voice. Yes, and um, it's there's so much that with blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't talk today. <laughs> <laughs> there's so much with this topic that there was really a good reason to go back and revisit this. Sometimes we redo topics because we're like, oh, we didn't really know what we were talking about the first time around or we could do better. But this was like, we just didn't like cover even a 10th of what we could have talked about. And I'm sure that'll be the case again today. So this time next year, we'll probably do a third episode on this. Yeah, maybe. But I think that it's totally fair because the little in-between episode was on Beltane and yeah. Walpurgis Noct is Beltane adjacent. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So this cool like witches night holiday in Europe, well, that's what we're talking about today. Totally. But before we get into all of that, I have the matches in my oh, pocket. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Go right on ahead and light our ritual candle. Well, it's lit. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. <laughs> As I was lighting it, I was thinking, you know, what if somebody has only heard like the last, I don't know, five or six episodes and they're like, why the fuck do these ladies like light a candle every time? Oh, well, <laughs> it's our ritual. Yeah, it's a, it's a little ritual candle. We have seasonal candle that we light before every episode to kind of like center us and, and bring us together and bring a little bit of like ritualistic magic into the recording and the candles this time is a special gift from a listener. And so, yeah, it's just yeah. our own little bit of our own little bit of ritual magic. Yeah. And we kind of have to make a big deal about remembering to do it because <laughs> we, otherwise we'll we have forgotten <laughs> before and we get called the fuck out. Yeah. Some of you, some of you call us the fuck out on it. So. <laughs> we're terrible witches. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lindsay, I had a crazy dream that I want to share before we get into Valpurgis Knock. Ooh, exciting. I'm into it. So I had a terrible sleep last night. It was full of all kinds of crazy ass dreams for no reason. And I had a particular dream that Kenway escaped. So in my Aww. dream, Kenway was like trying to get like out the door and out the windows and doing his usual like, I'm just going to race away. So... He's like, he's at the window and he's pawing and pawing and pawing. And I look to see what's going on and it's snowing. 
And I'm like, it's summer and it's snowing. No. And then it was like snowing really heavily. And then the snow turned to snowballs and then it was snowballing. (laughs) 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 Snowballs were falling from the sky. So in the dream, engineer Dan and I went outside to be like, the fuck is happening? And that's when Kenway (laughs) ran outside and sprinted across the still green lawn um, (laughs) into the window of a passing car. There was, <laughs> there was in my dream, there was a black and gold sort of Firebird-esque car. Oh, cool. And yeah, it was driving really slowly down the street. And he just like leapt right into the window. And I was like, they're driving away slowly with our cat. <laughs> <laughs> they're going so slow. But I was like, what are you doing? You're stealing my cat. And yeah, and then I woke up. <laughs> <laughs> That is a bizarre dream. And my whole night was full of Aww. shit like that. But if you are a dream interpreter out there and have any sort of idea about like snowballs or slowly driving cars, <laughs> I would love to hear it. <laughs> you can drop us a line, 5C2PPod at Gmail or on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> While we're sitting here telling this little story. Django came up to visit as well. He did. Basically, just came up to wrestle with Kenway, who oh. always sleeps next to Lindsay while we record. That was so cute. <laughs> He's very sweet boy. <laughs> Lindsay, how was your week? It was a really long week. Dude, right? It was a really, really long week. I'm glad it's not that week anymore. I'm glad that we're on the weekend now and that we're going to go into next week. Um, I did have a really nice time. Imagining a new D&D character, though. Oh, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> we are going to play Curse of Straw. Yeah. feel like we should, like, cue some eerie gothic music. was good (laughs) (laughs) so Lindsay, who are you going to play in this particular campaign i'm gonna play a cleric in this game Uh, yeah i'm kind of excited i've never played a healer before and it's been a while for what like four years since i've played a caster like the the very first character i ever created for D&D was a caster and i did a terrible job at it. <laughs> so a cleric <laughs> is kind of like a religious magic user, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so not only will I be using magic again, but I will be healing. Uh, and I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be fun. I had sort of, a, sort of a slow start to figuring out who this character is, but I think that I've really gotten to know her over the past week, and I'm, I'm excited about it. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm excited. It'll be you and Engineer Dan and our friend Taylor and our friend Brian, and it's going to be great. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. 
we'll uh, next time we record, we'll probably know more about how all those characters interacted and what you think your first impressions of the game because we'll be playing this coming Sunday. You guys gave me no fucking time, <laughs> <laughs> which is fine. Everybody well, was like, great. "We don't want to. We don't want to wait six weeks right? to play." And I was like, Come oh, on, but writing? no, okay. <laughs> but I, I'm into it. I usually like to have a month between an event zero to do all the writing. But much like my last minute book purchase yesterday. I feel like I would end up doing very similar. Like I've been thinking about mentally writing for this game for a while. And I'm a very much a, if there's not a deadline, I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. So having the deadline be really close just means I'm going to do, I'm going to do the same amount of work, but just in a shorter time span. Yeah, dude, absolutely. And I think you're going to do an awesome job. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. You did an awesome job with Caledonia and I'm really excited to play this game with you too. Well, thank you. <laughs> Can't wait to tell everybody all about it as we move along. And we'll make sure to try and keep it spoiler-free, like, story-wise, like, plot-wise, the same way we do with Icewind Dale. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Sweet. Well, why don't we take a quick little break, and then we'll come right on back and talk all about Valpurgisnock. Yeah, dude. We'll be back in a second, which is... Thanks, dude. Okay. Valpurgisnock. <laughs> I just want to say that over and over and over now. <laughs> or Witch's Night. Um, also probably seen as Walpurgis Night. Depends on sort of who's writing and who's speaking. Yeah. But uh, we'll use all three interchangeably. And I want to say right off the top, before we get into the what's and the who's and the why's of this, that a lot of the information that we'll be sharing today came from a book. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) So I picked up a book, uh, Night of the Witches, Folklore, Traditions, and Recipes, Celebrating Walpurgis Night by Linda Radish. Um, This is a Lulwyn Publications, 2011. It is a dope book. I got the Kindle version because... I decided, I found it yesterday, decided this was a thing I had time to do yesterday in preparation for the episode. And so uh, I've been really pleased. Um, Clearly, the author did a lot of research from a variety of sources. And the book itself includes not only a very digestible history of how all of these ideas come together, but also like cool little recipes that you can easily do to like celebrate or make little different like feast things or different types of oils. It includes an entire section in the middle that is sort of like a tangential explanation of the different types of witches from that era. Oh, cool. Yeah, which we'll go into in like a totally other episode. It's very cool. So very fun book. And it is all about Valpurgisnock. Awesome. So, So Lindsay... Yeah, let's talk about it a little. Right. What the fuck is this? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So early in Germany's history, people celebrated the coming of spring, much like they did in, you know, other parts of the world. So the end of the long winter meant the end of hunger for a lot of people and a chance for new life. And according to tradition, to help usher in the new season, all of the witches and warlocks would fly in from all around Germany either on broomsticks or on goats. 
I'm assuming the goats weren't flying. No, the goats could fly. The goats could fly. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> I want a flying goat. Sometimes there are flying goats. Oh my god, I want a flying goat some, so much. Yeah, some traditions and some folklore myths, uh, they they don't fly on broomsticks, they fly on goats. <gasps> like a like a soar through the air on a Pegasus, but it's a goat. <laughs> Lake Asp. <laughs> <laughs> Well, anyway, they'd fly in on their goats and they'd come together on the Brocken on April 30th. So the Brocken is the highest peak of the Hearts Mountains. And it was the meeting place for Walpurgis Nacht, where the witches and the warlocks uh, could gather together to celebrate and to await the arrival of spring with bonfires and dancing. Yeah. And we'll chat probably, I think we go in a little bit more about this um, in a little bit, but... Um, essentially, the Hearts Mountains are mountain range in um, in Germany, where uh, the the folks who were sort of various religions, various practices, tribes, people would gather for safety during the sort of inception of Christian reign and Romans in that area because they very quickly said, you can't practice your own traditions. You must practice Christianity and outlawed um, uh, with very severe punishments. But this particular mountain range is very high, very thick, very densely wooded. And because of the elevation, the mists never really leave. So the visibility in this particular forest is really poor which meant it was really easy to hide from the Christians and the Roman soldiers and then later the monks and that sort of thing that were trying to find you and and possibly put you to death or at least severely punish you and your family. So this is where the Brocken is, and it was um, not just a Walpurgis Night uh, particular area, but just in general was sort of seen as this holy site for a lot of pagan traditions um, Norse religions, like they sort of all shared it at some point. That's so cool. Yeah. I, would, I would like love to visit there someday. Me too. They they do still hold um, traditional like bonfire jumping and that sort of thing Ooh, on the Brocken. Oh, cool. I hope there's like a bus that takes you up there or something. Probably. <laughs> I don't want to hike it. <laughs> so eventually the old ways kind of fizzled out. They weren't practiced any longer. And what began as a celebration of spring morphed into something completely different. So the ritual, the rituals that once greeted the season were now used to chase away evil spirits. Which includes witches. Yeah. Unfortunately. In villages and towns, people decided that noise would scare the witches away. So beginning at sunset, men and boys would do all that they could to make noise all night long. They would bang on pots and shoot pistols into the air, enchanting and the banging of boards against house walls would also create noise thought to chase away evil spirits. And but they lit the bonfires because they thought that that kept witches away too. Yeah. So it's sort of like a, that's the more like modern traditional version. And, you know, sort of like I said, today people can still go have like a giant party, uh, basically, <laughs> and, and have bonfires <laughs> and camp out and, you'd, I don't know, do magic mushrooms if you so imbibe and that type of thing. But it's supposed to be like a very large sort of pagan orgy ritual festival. Awesome. <laughs> yes, I want to do the mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> So why April 30th? Because spring equinox was a while ago. Yes. And so why wait until the end of April? Well, like a lot of things, uh, the pagan custom and the church custom kind of get tangled up. 
So in the Middle Ages, the end of April signaled the end of winter and the beginnings of spring. It's exactly six months from Samhain and also All Saints Day. Um, so with people celebrating the arrival of warmer weather and the lengthening of days, uh, they would they would do the bonfire thing and celebrate with dancing. And then when the church began to impose its power, people didn't want to completely do away with the old pagan custom. So they wrapped it up into the church custom and celebrate Walpurgis Noct to honor the feast day of St. Walpurga. Right. Which we're going to chat about in just a second. Yeah. But I did want to, I was sort of thinking as you were saying, like the end of winter, beginning of spring being sort of that April 30th, May 1st, Mm -hmm. considering it snowed less than a week ago. Yeah, I get it. (laughs) That that (laughs) would make a much better spring equinox. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So... As Lindsay said, there's this sort of a thought that Walpurgisnacht got wrapped up in St. Walpurga, who was an actual person. So St. Walpurga was born in England around 710. And uh, and basically, she was the only daughter of King Richard of Wessex, who sometimes people say that it was like the King Richard. It wasn't. He was born like 800 years later. So that was like a century apart. But uh, the the scholars basically say this particular King Richard of Wessex was really more like a chieftain than a king. And a lot of her family were already in like like part of the cloth, basically. And her uncle was St. Boniface, uh, Archbishop of Mainz, who it was basically his job to Christianize the Saxons. So at age 11, she was basically given to a Benedictine abbey and her father and her brothers went on a pilgrimage to the Holy Lands. So they're like, ah, let's not bring the girl. You can stay with these nuns. (laughs) 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 And on that journey to the Holy Lands, her dad died. Oh, Less than a year in, he died in Tuscany of fever. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. So she stayed at the abbey for 26 years. Eventually, Walpurga was given her own community of nuns, so she had her own little nunnery uh, at Heidenheim, and later she also took over the monastery that her brother ran. So her brother became a monk and ran the adjacent monastery uh, very close by, but he died, and she took over his monastery as well and ran them both, which made her one of the first and few nuns to rule both uh, nuns and monks, because usually it's just... The, like you'd have a nun rule the women and a monk rule the men and women were absolutely not to do, allowed to do both but she was so cool they were like yeah fuck it damn well parka good for you yeah. she's also thought to be one of the first female authors in either english or german because she took a lot of her works and teachings and wrote them down awesome yeah. that's super cool but she died in 779 and was basically forgotten oh she was rediscovered About 100 years later, when restoration work was ordered on the abbey where she was buried. And it's thought that Walpurga haunted this particular effort. She was pissed. Don't really know why, but they ended up um, exhuming her body, blessing it, and moving it because her ghost wouldn't leave them the fuck alone. And like... (laughs) And walls kept collapsing, and yeah, they they got really scared, and they moved her tomb. Wow. (laughs) 
So uh, today she's been re-entombed in the town of uh, Eichstadt, and uh, she's currently, uh, since then and still today, is presided over by Benedictine uh, nuns who discovered that the new tomb that she is buried in produces a healing oil. Oh, that's weird. So there's this oil that flows, it's said to like flow from her bones, but seeps from the rocks between October and February. Weird. I don't know, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> Specifically, it's supposed to flow until February 25th, which is the actual date of St. Walpurgis Feast. So the oh. St. Walpurga feast is not April 30th, but instead February 25th, which again goes to show how you just sort of take what you yeah. want from this and that and smush it together and be like, here you They're go. Like, well, it's something digestible. It's close <laughs> enough. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of unclear how Walpurga uh, got tangled up with May Day celebrations because her influence and her rule didn't extend into that particular forest region of Germany. So she was definitely a thing and a person and very important, but she became this sort of figurehead and character in German folklore. And it's sort of thought that she was... She sort of became, through oral tradition, synonymous with the white lady. And so the white lady in German folklore, and this is something that comes up in like French folklore and English folklore, and it's, it's a very common idea, all with their own twist. Sort of also um, ties in with Holga from Norse mythology as well, but specific to uh, Walpurga and the German folklore of the white lady, it's thought that she plays the role of a forest spirit who spends the last nine nights of April fleeing from village to village um, with demonic riders at her heels. So um, it was thought that she could hide in fields of wheat or like would like knock on your door and be like, help me, hide me kind of thing. Um, so much so that some parts of Europe would like basically save the last harvest of wheat and make it into like a little human figure so that they'd still have fresh wheat for her to hide in, in April. And this was called a, a corn dolly. And she would basically be able to like, like those last nine days of April, embody the, like put her spirit in that little doll. Oh, neat, to dude. Hide. Yeah. Aww. Now I'm go forever going to be a little terrified of like corn husk dolls. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, have a lot of different... That's one piece of folklore associated with them, but not the only piece. <laughs> um, so this this idea was that Walburga became synonymous with this white lady, and she was dressed all in white with gold shoes and a crown. She carries with her a spindle and a mirror, which, again, puts her closer to, like, Norse traditions of a, a individual called Norns, than actual St. Wilberga, who would have worn the very much traditional, like, nun garb, which was very drab, which, like, was purposefully bulky to eliminate any curves, with really shortly, sh like, close shorn hair. I think that's how you say that. Really, really short hair, um, because long flowing hair was associated with pagans and, and lack of discipline and mm -hmm. lack of piousness. And so... There's this sort of like, oh, well, those two things don't really match. But she got associated, in at least name, with the white lady. <laughs> and so with all these things a little muddied and a little intertwined, 
some of these symbols, the like spindle, the grain, the mirror. There's also mention of like a dog in some of these stories because in Germanic folklore, um, witches are associated with dogs as familiars and not cats. Cool. Yeah. Fucking dogs. (laughs) Dogs are so cute. (laughs) And so a lot of these symbols overlap with pagan symbols as well. So grain for good harvest. Dogs are um, the familiars and spindles are associated with for a holder or Holga, um, which, you know, you can find sort of a twist on it in the Grimm's fairy tales. But it was sort of thought that a lot of this got intertwined and mixed especially because it was a lot of oral tradition. Not a lot of this was firmly written down or like, you know, this was a time period where the only folks that were highly educated and could read and write were also typically high members of the Christian church. So you take all of this and sort of smoosh it together. And it was thought that maybe St. Walpurga was a way where the pagan community in the area and people that followed the old ways or witchcraft or Norse gods could get away with celebrating what they believed in with the mask of St. Walpurga. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, dude. And just basically be like, oh, well, St. Walpurga blesses our grains. (laughs) And like, even though she didn't really have anything to do with that. (laughs) And, you know, they could still carry their corn dollies kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and be like, you know, when the when the church would come by and be like, what are you doing? <laughs> They'd be like, we're honoring St. Walpurga. <laughs> we sure are. We're not witches. <laughs> Who knows how well that worked or if that's even true, but I like the idea. Yeah, I like the idea too. <laughs> got to do what you got to do. So, you know, essentially... This nun, St. Olpergo, was an English woman who went to Germany, worked for the Catholic Church, ended up being associated with Holga and a Germanic goddess and the White Lady, and later, pagan witches. Nice. Pretty good. Yeah. Not to be lost in there. One of the first nuns to run both the monastery and the the abbey. Yeah. And, as well as, you know, being one of the first authors, well, sorry, one of the first female authors in that region. There wasn't really much in there about her temperament, but I have to like, I kind of figure if she's running both, both like the monastery and the abbey that she probably wasn't very nice all the time. Oh yeah. There's actually more in the book <laughs> about her temperament and that side of things. I had to pick and choose. Cause I mean, this is, yeah, yeah, yeah. the book is like. 250 pages so (laughs) so i i was selective uh but yeah the book does share a little bit that she was very pious and took her job very seriously and had a lot of influence from her uncle um who you know was largely responsible for driving uh you know ancient traditions out of the saxons and Mm -hmm. she took that into her own area of germany so again it wasn't in the hearts forts but um, in her particular little area, she she petitioned more than once for additional resources to help drive out the the demons and the devils from her wow. area. Yeah, so she she took her job fucking seriously. <laughs> <laughs> so that leads me to kind of wonder, you know, in the in the pre-Christian traditions, you know, what are some of the things that might have been done? And it's hard to know a hundred percent for sure because every little region was different and there was a lot of different religions and a lot of different practices but what are some of the things that people used to do and what are some of the things that people still do to celebrate so like in pre-christian times uh on the night from like april 30th to may 1st people all over central and northern europe celebrated the beginning of spring uh with like 
crazy parties to celebrate fertility and love. There would be bonfires and dances and sacrificial rituals. And yeah, dude, sometimes there were orgies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because it's a fertility season. So what better to celebrate, welcome, and encourage fertility than get it on? Yeah. Seriously. Also, you know, I guess if they were doing this in uh, doing this in like April, December is a great time to have a kid. I was I was kind of wondering like if that played into it, where it's like, oh, well, when you're not harvesting the fields is a great time oh, yeah. to have like to have a baby and recuperate from that when it's like the slow, quiet inside months. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I don't know, dude. Without modern medicine, I'd say that no time <laughs> is a great time to have a kid. But uh, yeah. they, they clearly had different ideas because here we are. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I like this one in particular. Um, in some regions, farmers would dress in scary costumes um, and to go along with their loud noises and whips. And I think this is a little bit later. Uh, this was not necessarily like the the entire pagan traditions, but a little bit later, um, you know, to chase away the bad spirits. But it sounded like it was a very sort of Halloween adjacent. It was like spring Halloween, yeah. which I think we should bring back. <laughs> yeah. Halloween in spring. Halloween also in winter. Halloween in <laughs> summer, too. <laughs> Halloween every season. But basically, like, winters in Germany fucking suck, man. Like, not not unlike here, they are long and they are cold and they were particularly hard for peasants uh, and, and you know, people who farmed or, like, logged or whatever for a tradition for, for their income. And so, you know, people were really, like, into spring. And it was really important because the, it was right around this time where it's like, oh, God, is this ever going to end? And so whether it was May Day or Beltane or Walpurgis Night, it was it was a huge deal. Now, you mentioned bonfires. Yeah, dude, there's always bonfires. I fucking love bonfires. There's always bonfires. <laughs> have you ever walked on coals? No. Why would I have done that? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just, I, I don't know. Have you? No. God, no. <laughs> I would, though. I would try it. I mean, if I had an opportunity to, then, and not do it with, like, my bare feet, then yeah. sure, yeah, why not? I'd try it, but I've never been presented with that opportunity. They don't do that in Massachusetts, <laughs> I don't think. Now, what about <laughs> jumping over a fire? Yeah, I would jump over a fire. Ha but ha have you done a, a bonfire jump? No. So neither have I, but the people that are into Walpurgis still do this. The, like, the idea of jumping over a bonfire is a big fucking deal. And it's thought that this started because the uh, the grain would grow as high as a farmer could jump on Walpurgis night. So they would build these big fires, and then they would try and jump over them so that their grain would grow very tall. Oh. <laughs> what happens if, like you don't totally clear the fire. Like, I'm not saying you jump into the fire and get, like, caught on fire, but if you're, like, you know, the fire flame licks your, like, knee or something. Oh, I don't, I, I don't know. There wasn't anything about that that I saw. I am not 100% finished the book, but um, it was more just the height of the jump. So to encourage you to jump higher, you would jump over a bigger bonfire. Oh, okay. Yeah. I would be fucked. I cannot jump very high. <laughs> 
Well, if you can't jump to avoid bad weather and encourage good crops, you could also put out some bread with honey and butter in the fields. Yum. I thought that was nice. Yeah, that is nice. Uh, They would also like uh, do extra things to protect their cattle and their farm animals from harm. So bells were blessed and hung around cows' necks. Stable doors were locked and either hung with herbs or later with three crosses uh, to, to protect from evil. Oh, and the lady of the house would customarily leap over her broom. Now that's something I could leap over. (laughs) (laughs) And they would burn the old ones. (laughs) I'm assuming it's like laying flat on the ground and not like erect, right? Oh God, I don't know. That that was very unclear. Dude, there's no way they're going to be able to leap over an erect broom. Well, I don't think broom. With all their like skirts and stuff. Maybe they weren't as long as they are now. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> oh, no, Great question. <laughs> Maybe if you're listening and you know, you can tell us. 5C2P pod on Instagram. Well, if it's laying on the ground, I can definitely <laughs> leap over that. <laughs> uh, the, the idea of like burning old things was really important too. So, uh, you know, these fires and bonfires would be used to burn like anything that had worn out over the previous year. Uh, you know, sometimes they'd even make like more str- like sort of straw men to... Uh, to burn and endow them with things like give them like give those sacrifices essentially the illness and disease and then burn it but one of the things that I found really cool as in reading through this was that all of these things were like thrown out so all of your old straw bedding would get burned and your old blankets that have been worn out and everything else would get sort of smoke cleansed so herbs, much like Beltane, played a really, really large part in this. And uh, they would basically smoke cleanse themselves, their animals, their home, their bedding, their clothes, everything. But they had just spent all fucking winter locked up inside their like cold, dank little houses. And a lot of times their livestock would live inside these houses with them because they didn't necessarily have separate barns at right. that point. And this burning of old things and all the old hay and straw and smoke cleansing was thought that it was actually more of a fumigation to get rid of fleas and lice and the old mildew and everything like that that had been built up over the winter. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And I had never thought about that. I was like, oh, yeah, duh. Yep. Especially because of some of the things that they burned were like juniper and hawthorn, elder trees, mint, and mugwort. All natural insect repellents. Yeah, dude. And I bet that they didn't like potty train their cows too. Like I no, bet, I bet God, if the no. cow was like living inside with them, the cow was just like, I've got a shit. I'm going to do it right here, right now. I'm not yeah. going to like scratch out the door and ask for you to let me out. Absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know enough about like... like those particular times but i know that you can dry cow manure and use it as burning fuel as well so oh yeah who knows maybe there was a lot of that going on too oh man those homes must have been so stinky smelly so stinky (laughs) uh so yeah in in olden times it was a lot more like ritualistic reawakening blessing now it's a little bit more halloween party so it's still celebrated today and it's basically kind of like a night of pranks, um, a little bit of like the trick night of trick or treat. So, um, you know, unfortunately, people like 
toss your garbage can and like steal stuff from your front door and oh well that's not nice no it's kind of like a shitty teenager night yeah but you know you can still have bonfire festivals and costumes and noisemakers uh to you know to welcome the witches or spurn them away kind of depends on which one you're going for but there's been a little bit of a resurgence in this as the night of the witches rather than it being the banishment of witches to be a night of hedonistic pleasures and awesomeness because witchcraft is more popular again awesome i love it taking it back yeah yeah well that's a lot about volpurgis knock mm-hmm. now it wouldn't be a 5c2p episode if we didn't talk about some herbs. So no, why don't we take I a break? <laughs> take a little break and we'll come back and we'll talk about some of the plants associated with this particular festival. Coolio, dude. Nope. Be right back, witches. Oh, yeah. We're back. Going to talk about some herbs. Heck yeah. So, we love herbs, and there was so many associated with this particular holiday in the book that I picked a handful of the sort of lesser ones, because <laughs> <laughs> because the, there's so much there. I just sort of picked some snippets to share, but I highly recommend, if this was particularly interesting to you, to pick up this book. Cool. So, we're going to start off with a particular favorite of mine is... Vervain. So a couple of years ago, it didn't hasn't grown in the last two years, but a couple of years ago, this actually grew in the witch's garden. Oh, and it was that tall sort of like, like in the fall, it looked almost like silvery gray leaves. They look dusty. Yeah, that's Vervain. So uh, when druids picked this, basically they thought it was so holy that they would compensate the earth with gifts of honey wherever they picked it, and they would combine it with chamomile to be hung from a doorway upside down, so basically the same way you dry flowers. And it would it was thought that on this particular night, it would betray a witch's presence because it would start swaying and moving around with nobody doing anything. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so you'd know if you had a witch in your house. Uh, another one, mugwort. Another favorite. Yes. So if you, uh, they would like mix mugwort with thyme to smoke out witches, which would also produce visions of fairies. Now, I have never seen a fairy while smoking mugwort. Maybe I'm not trying hard enough. Maybe you need to smoke more. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you need to mix it with some thyme. Oh, maybe I do. (laughs) (laughs) We've got cowslip, which was gathered on Walpurgis night. So this wasn't used, but rather picked on this particular night and then dried and powdered and fed to livestock to free them from enchantments. Oh, we've also got marjoram, which hung with gillyflowers over cattle stalls on Valparkus Noct would protect them from evil spirits. I don't know what a gillyflower is. I failed to look that up. Nor do I. <laughs> Let's take a little pause and do that. Okay. Oh, okay. So a gillyflower is a carnation or a very similar plant, um, like dianthus. They're like pale pink and white and they're, yeah, they're super, like super fragrant. 
but it's kind of like a carnation or a dianthus. Oh, Very okay. pretty. Cool. Super pretty. All right, Kelly Flower, you go. <laughs> <laughs> I like this one, too. So, fern seed. Um, at midnight on Walpurgis Night, it was said that all the water in the forest streams would be turned into wine. Yum. I think someone was smoking too much mugwort. <laughs> but you couldn't drink it or even draw a cup from it unless you had fern seed in your pocket. Weird. That was a weird one. That's so weird. <laughs> Very specific. <laughs> Uh, so we've also ha- we also have meadow saffron. So on this night, witches were said to snip the leaves of meadow saffron and toss them into a poisonous salad, which is why the leaves of the plant are often brown and shriveled at the tips. Hmm. Yep. Well, yep. Witches be ruining everything. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a classic ale hoof, which we covered last year. Yeah. When gathered on Walpurgis night, the wreath of ground ivy or ale hoof acts as a magic mirror revealing the presence of witches and their dark doings. Cool. There is ale hoof growing in abundance in my vegetable patch right now. Cool. (laughs) Awesome. And then we've got bear's garlic. So wild garlic or devil's posy that grows in Germany on forest floors is thought to be a strong protector against witchcraft and will be rubbed on cattle, on your chest, or eaten. But... Witches were also fond of it and would steal it on Valpurgis night as they fly through the region on their brooms. So it all must be picked before April 30th. Which, in truth, is probably means that it was gathered by healers who knew what the fuck they were doing because in May, a very similar looking plant would begin to grow all over the region with its broad, dark green leaves. The highly poisonous lily of the valley. Whoa! Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, I imagine that's one of those like you like you should get it before the witches do kind of thing because I'm sure somewhere along the line someone ate Lily of the Valley thinking it was bear's garlic, told everybody they ate bear's garlic, died or got really sick, and then people were like the witches turned it or something stupid. Yep. So you know, protect themselves. Pick it when it's ripe. Mm which is before May 1st. (laughs) (laughs) So those were just some, some of the herbal bits of folklore associated with Valpargusnock in this particular book. And again, cannot more highly recommend it. It's been a super easy read. And there's a lot of really interesting bits about witchcraft and folklore in there from all kinds of different traditions as well. Which leads me to, if you're listening to this particular episode and you're like, Valpurgisnock is in just a couple of days. What can I do to celebrate? We have a couple of quick suggestions. Yeah, we sure do. All of these, I feel like, are strong favorites of ours. (laughs) So this shouldn't be too hard. Number one is drinking. Yeah. (laughs) So this was... You know, this was a time where there was all kinds of different traditional beverages that were made, a lot of them beer-oriented, um, sometimes particular wines. I think even one of the Pliny the Elder's uh, notes talks about Valpurgisnock and and wine being associated with, like, the cleansing of wounds around this time. Like, it's there's a lot. There's a lot about drinking and celebrating with drink. So whatever your, whatever your poison is, maybe you imbibe and have a... Have a drink or a cocktail or two. 
And while you're drinking, definitely do some super cool dancing. Uh, yeah, that's the only time I dance. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much me too. Well, no, that's not true. Sometimes I do dance while I'm working, but that's, that's only fair. to like keep myself awake and not wanting to kill anybody. But it's the only time I do interpretive ballet. Ah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> You can feast. I like to feast. So feasting on things like wild garlic, garlic mustard, greens, fish, things that are like local and readily available this time of year. So it's a celebration of the bounties that you have as opposed to the eating of like stored root vegetables and that sort of thing. Yeah. You can also like do it do it yeah sexy time (laughs) i mean it was celebrated with orgies yeah dude it's about fertility yeah so you know if you if you haven't done it in a while or you just did it uh, uh, like yesterday do it again fuck it why not (laughs) we're celebrating if you're in like some sort of lockdown or you're like ah covid do it with yourself man still counts you can totally do it with yourself (laughs) And then the last one is toss out old things. So I like this one as like everybody likes spring cleaning. This one ties directly to the traditional like sort of more pagan thoughts around it. So, you know, go through that like those like ratty underwear and socks that you're like, I never wear them except on laundry day and it's kind of got a hole and you know, throw that shit out, man. Yeah. Maybe don't jump over a fire unless you have something to put the fire out with. Yeah, notice we did not mention bonfires because not everybody (laughs) knows how to light a fire, take care of a fire, or not burn shit down. So we're not (laughs) recommending bonfires. (laughs) But we are recommending that you have fun with it. Yeah. And so if you feel so inclined on April 30th into the wee hours of May 1st, have yourself a good old time. For real, dude. For real. Well, I super enjoyed exploring Walpurgis Knock in full and in detail and finally getting to do the episode we wanted to do last year. I know, <laughs> me too. <laughs> so, yeah, well, we've got more great stuff lined up, probably diving more into this book uh, as, we, um, as we go along the rest of this spring. So why don't you join us again next week? If you can't wait until then, go back and listen to some of our old shit. But either way, hang in there, wear your masks, get your shots, don't be a dick. Remember, no pervs, no Nazis. Totally. Good enough. Good? Yeah. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Best sound check ever. (laughs) It's a whole bunch of... (laughs) (laughs) I like that you have your Dog and Pony Show t-shirt on. Yes. I love that beer. It's a good t-shirt, too. I wore it yesterday. This is my yesterday outfit. Yeah, fuck it. (laughs) I changed my underwear. That's about it. These are my yesterday jeans. (laughs) I put on a clean top for you because the top I wore yesterday was sleeveless and it's too cold for that shit today. Yes. It was way too fucking cold. I did not shower. I wore these undies to bed. They were clean when I put them on. I was like, that's always annoying. It's basically clean. Yeah. I go to bed at like 11 and I sleep in them and then I wake up because I was like took a shower late last night and I was like, ugh. I just put on jammy pants and then I was like, ugh, I don't want to sleep in jammy pants. So I put on a pair of clean underwear and then I woke up this morning and I was like, do I, do I need to change them? 
Yeah. No. <laughs> if you showered the night before, then you totally don't need to yeah. change them. I really, I'm a firm believer that you do not need undies for both sleeping and the next day. And oh, As long God. as you are clean yeah. when you go into your undies. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, normally, I'm like shower in the morning, put on my undies, and I wear them until I take them off to shower the next day. Because <laughs> <laughs> who has separate sleeping undies? I don't know. That's that's. I don't have time for that amount of laundry. Yeah, that's ridiculous. If I don't shower at night, then the undies that I wore the previous day are what I'm wearing to put yeah. in bed. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I don't. I don't shower at like in the evening, like post yoga, and then put back, like put on the undies I wore all day. No, that's Clean. weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Clean undies always yes. after showering. Yes. 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 <laughs> Sweaty ass yoga undies after oh you take God. a shower. Ew, ew, that would be <laughs> so gross. Probably wouldn't even be able to like pull it up over your cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I want to check our subject. Okay. <laughs>